Hi, my name is Fabian Hoshino from Ash Consulting. We're specialized in cross-cultural communication consulting. And we're here today with Thomas. He's the general manager for Imperial Brands in Japan. We're here to talk to him about his experience as a foreign executive in Japan. Thomas, we know each other now for many years, I think since you came to Japan in 2015. Why don't you share a little bit about your experience even prior to coming to Japan? Yeah, so I grew up in Serbia, Eastern Europe, and from there I moved to UK and studied and worked there, and uh, following that, uh, Italy and Hong Kong followed. So transition to UK and Italy was uh, fairly easy. Uh, from language perspective, obviously English uh, culture is much closer to where I'm from. You get exposed to it on TV, music, social media. So uh, the transition you know, took a bit of time, but it was pretty smooth. Italy, much geographically closer to my home, uh, that was even, let's say, smoother. Uh, and then going to Far East, Hong Kong initially, but especially coming to Japan early 2015, that was quite a, quite a cultural shock. First time in Asia for me, and uh, definitely first time in Japan, so that, uh, that took a little bit to, to get used to at the beginning. So you've been really across uh, the globe, you've been to different places and you've experienced different cultures. And now before we look closer at your experience in Japan, what was your pre uh, preparation like before you came to Japan actually? So in the whole uh, move, you're busy moving from country to country looking for schools. We started to you know, read up a little bit on the Japan and culture, but there's only so much you can do. Uh, and when we actually arrived, we had around a half day, a day training uh, by an external person, a foreigner that lived here for many years, telling us about mainly do's and don'ts in the, in the Japan culture to myself and my wife. Okay. So it was more general advice with yes. the biggest pitfalls that apply probably to most people. Very much. Uh, even, you know, fun things such as you can't go to a swimming pool if you, if you have a tattoo. Um, you know, don't do this on the train, please don't talk on the phone. So that was, uh, you know, it sounds silly, but actually when you start getting exposed to it day to day, you realize how different it is and how much you, you could be standing out as a, as a foreigner. You're just not used to it. I can imagine you know, a lot of people go through um, what they call a honeymoon phase, right? You come to Japan or any other country and in the beginning everything is awesome, right? Everything, has, everything is new and exciting and after a couple of months, usually around six months, that's when things start, you know, I don't want to say wear off, but you, you realize that, oh, maybe, maybe not everything is just awesome. There are things that are different. Was there anything that, that you noticed? So at the beginning, because we just opened the office here, we were in a full startup phase. Uh, we were building everything from, from ground zero. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was very little time for anything apart from focusing on work and we had to deliver. Um, and I was going through a lot of, uh, let's say, testing and mostly failing mm -hmm. uh, in my leadership. So what was working in Europe, here suddenly uh, people are not, were not that responsive to. Give you a, a, a simple example in a team meeting, um, singling out a person and saying, Hey, well done to um, so and so uh, for the work done last week. In Europe, would mostly be received as, you know, thank you, great to, great to be recognized. Where in Japan at the beginning, uh, people were not responsive. So I was a bit puzzled. So, uh, do they not understand me? What, what, what's the issue here? until one of the colleagues told me, hey, you're actually singling out person in Japan is not necessarily received well. I know you mean well, however, it's not necessarily uh, perceived well by that person or by the peers. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I mean, we, we see that companies are investing a lot in leadership training, right? And usually, especially for global companies, 
it's usually based on, on an American or, or European approach, um, but it often le uh, leaves out the cultural context. Like you said, you know, the highlighting of, of positive achievements, accomplishments of individuals in a group setting. What probably a lot of leadership books would tell you is like, yeah, that's a great thing. But when you actually put a cultural lens on it, you realize for Japan and other countries as well, that might not be the best approach. So what we're noticing is that a lot of the companies, they invest in the leadership training, but not so much in, in the cultural communication training or it basically falls under diversity and inclusion, right? Because you talk about diverse backgrounds that you're dealing with. Um, what was your experience so far um, over the last seven years in Japan with diversity and inclusion, for instance? That's a big topic. Uh, I think it's becoming more and more live mm -hmm. in these days. We certainly, as an international company, have had that agenda from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, however, we were um, coming up to, let's say, barriers uh, on, on many corners. So it can feel like uh, pushing, a, pushing a water uphill at times, uh, but for international company, it's it's very important to be there. So, we see each, we see ourselves as maybe being at the forefront of that change, uh, but it's looking versus uh, Western countries is definitely this a long way to go uh, for maybe some other traditional Japanese companies. And to be quite honest, we had uh, quite a lot of hit and miss. Um, with staff in Japan. We had a lot of people coming in. We were in the startup phase, which is not uh, uh, always easy for everyone. Mm. However, also from the cultural perspective, there were Japanese local people that never worked in an international company and they found it hard way to adjust. Mm. Um, so they, they would come and after a certain time uh, leave. Uh, so that was also a bit of a cultural challenge on, on let's say, both sides. So for me, the biggest challenge was always how to stay true to myself, to my values and leadership, but really apply this lens of uh, Japan and what works for Japan and at the end of the day, what's important to, to the Japanese people. Yeah, it's a really good point about the, the startup phase that you've uh, been through because we see it a lot and I've experienced it myself as well. Um, when you're part of a startup um, of, a, for instance, foreign subsidiary in Japan, you need a very different crowd, different people. Um, people that you know can work different roles and, and wear multiple hats and um, really roll up their sleeves and don't worry so much about you know what what is the rule here what's the manual or SOPs right they like creating those things from scratch um, but then once you have a bit of structure people actually prefer those people prefer moving on because it gets for them too rigid to structure mm -hmm. um, is that something you've experienced as well yeah um, I, at some point let's say six months into my assignment here someone mentioned oh you know Japan is uh, is a place where most foreign businesses fail. I thought, well, I wish someone told me that before coming. Um, but it was a, the challenge was, uh, let's say, mostly around the speed and uh, <clears throat> everything to do with that. So from a Western perspective, we are trying to build as quickly as possible. And someone nicely explained to me a, a while ago that Westerners try to do these things as quickly as possible. And then we go and we are live. However, then we start seeing what didn't quite work. Sometimes it's called like uh, test and learn, where the Japanese will take the time and it's impressive the amount of detail that they go through in order to make sure that nothing gets forgotten. And I remember <clears throat> in many meetings uh, forgetting all sorts of things where my colleagues would, would bring it up. Uh, and thank God they did, because if we went live before sorting that out, it, it would have been an issue. Uh, so the real challenge for us at the beginning was how do we find that nice balance between hey, let's go live as soon as possible, 
but let's make sure that our colleagues and the local partners, the local employees are comfortable with that speed. Uh, and it's a real challenge because on one side you really have business pressure, yeah. on the other side you have this huge cultural pressure mm-hmm. uh, that maybe you're going too fast and that you're going to, to, to fail. And you have employees that are maybe not quite convinced at that speed. So it's really finding that balance uh, between the two that I found uh, to, be, to be quite a challenge. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a really great example. During your time, did you have a mentor that helped you with all that? So I was lucky to have uh, my boss at the time who was here already a couple of years by then. Uh, so he went through the, the same um, and he was able to kind of, let's say, point out uh, some of the mistakes I was making from looking from the side and listening to some of the feedback that I was giving him and asking why this didn't quite work or why didn't I got a desired feedback. You know, it worked for me in, before in Europe. Why is it not working here? So he was able to, to, to be this bouncing board for me and, and to help me with that. Yeah, that's, it's really good having a mentor, regardless of what your position is in the organization, right? And how experienced you are, having a mentor like that can really help you, especially with the learnings and having a sounding board like that is very powerful. Um, having them within the organization, of course, comes with its own downsides, because right? of course they're part of the organization. Sometimes they might be part of the challenge that you're facing. You think it would have been beneficial to have like an external party to help you with that? Yeah, certainly um, I find that with training and leadership taking a proper time uh, to focus on it mm. uh, and having an independent party helping you with that mm-hmm. uh, definitely helps with the, with the process and the focus and what you actually get out of it. Having an internal mentor is ex- extremely helpful, however you do end up mixing, let's say, work with leadership. And it's never a clear cut, especially in that early environment, 2015-16, when it was full of learning for me, but it was also so busy in terms of getting the business off the ground. Um, It it wasn't quite easy. So having that, let's say, an independent time with someone outside of work, almost outside of the office, Mm -hmm. and talking about the experiences you're going through would have been certainly beneficial and something I would recommend to, to, to anyone coming to Japan uh, uh, as a foreigner, first time in Asia or in Japan, I would certainly recommend that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very true because we see a lot that a lot of the people that come over to Japan, um, of course, a lot of them are, are, of course, they have a lot of accomplishments under their belt and they're very proud, right? Because they get to, you know, get that chance to step up, take on a new leadership role in a new country, be part of a startup. Um, and they think, well, I'm getting this promotion because I've, I did a great job until now. So sometimes, People can be a little bit reluctant to uh, external advice, but I think, like you mentioned, that's exactly that time at the beginning of your journey, especially your arrival in Japan, where you should probably take a step back, zoom out a little bit, understand the cultural context that you're in, uh, and that's why we, we, with Ash, we actually offer that to our external, uh, to our um, clients, uh, and especially to expats that come to Japan. Um, usually, ideally, you want to give them a heads up before coming to Japan, so they already have a little bit of background. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, that's when you're really busy, you're still trying to wrap up your last position, you know, tie up loose ends, then move your whole family. Mm-hmm. So people are really busy. So usually we start when people come to Japan mm-hmm. um, to then coach them in one-on-one sessions. Like you said, you take them away from the day-to-day business, give them space to zoom out and actually think about, okay, well, what's actually going on here? And then we provide context because all the, the challenges that you described, we've seen that with all our clients across all industries all company sizes. It's very, very common. There's a lot of overlap. Mm. And that's where we try to leverage our experience um, over the last 10 years here, really, 
to help our clients you know, not make the same mistakes and really learn from other people and then really learn and, and be more effective from the beginning. Yeah, it's uh, having help beforehand helps, but it's still quite theoretical. Mm. But once you actually get here, get your hands on, you start going through some examples mm. and you start getting some question marks in your head, then having that kind of discussion and chat um, would definitely helps. Um, I, I've had so many uh, comical situations myself, as well as seeing other foreigners coming into the country. I remember especially uh, 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 one, of the, one of the leaders coming in who was not living in Japan, was coming in and was trying to do something that has worked for him in many other countries, which is his energy and going and you know standing up almost on the table and saying, yeah, we can do it. And he got up on the table thinking that people will follow and no one followed and <laughs> he was quite awkward. Eventually it was funny, but uh, that was quite a harsh learning, you know, so things like that. Uh, nevertheless, uh, as I mentioned, how do you stay true to yourself? If that's who you are, great, yeah. and you should not lose that. But how do you, how do you find that right lens or the, what are the right levers to, to do that in Japan? So probably, you know, uh, learning a, a word like gambate, you know, then sometimes help uh, will help you and then you start uh, being yourself, exactly who you are, uh, with this Japanese lens. That's, that's the kind of a, a, a perfect balance, but it does take time. Yeah, very, very good point. Okay, so in the beginning, you were speaking about uh, the training that you received, half-day training um, to prepare you, and you said it was, it was good, a lot of fun, uh, fundamentals, but not necessarily covering the business side. Now, when you look more at the business side of things, and let's use language as an example, what are some things that you notice in that area? So coming to Japan, first of all, spoken language, uh, nothing uh, similar to, to where I come from or, or any of the European languages. So that in itself is a, is a big challenge immediately. I Most of the time or at least half of the time I work with a translator, mm -hmm. which is a challenge itself because uh, your communication, your intonation um, not necessarily always comes through. Mm -hmm. um, the use of words, English words as well, can be also tricky. Uh, because although people speak English, uh, potentially some words or phrases used in, in uh, common in, in Europe are not understood here. Yeah, that's a really good point about the, uh, the language, right? Obviously a huge challenge uh, for anyone coming to Japan. Um, what we've also found is that you know, a lot of people try to, to, to make, for instance, you know, crack jokes or, or make pop cultural references. And I've experienced it myself. In many cases, they, those jokes <laughs> fall, fall flat, right? Because you think, oh, the person speaks English, they understand. You assume they grew up with the same you know, Hollywood movies and shows, but when you actually then make a joke or reference, they don't get it at all. Is there something like that that you've experienced as well? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, have been uh, read a few times in my face trying to make a joke um, and really just got blank stares at me. Um, so I, I think I got quite red in my face, but uh, moved on swiftly from there. But I, I guess uh, in terms of communication, also this nonverbal um, part is, is really important and really challenging. In you know, any, any book you read, any training I've received, um, there's a lot of talk around um, your nonverbal cues that you pick up from other person to think about what you are giving yourself. Um, however, in Japan, then on the other side, you could be talking to a customer who doesn't move for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. They usually have hands below the table, mm -hmm. which, is, uh, which is really nice. It's really polite versus, for example, Italians that are with hands all over the place, you know, 
can be quite destructive. Uh, this, uh, however, here, you know, you, there's nothing to read. Mm. And you genuinely don't know, um, in my early days, whether that went really well, good or terribly wrong. And uh, that was also quite, quite a learning afterwards, um, how to read some of the little cues you get. And at the end of the day, um, not to have my hands all over the place because that also may be uh, uh, portrayed or may be perceived in a, in, a, in a wrong way. So you have to find a balance between my own personality, who I am, however, still, you know, um, containing and, and, and uh, especially in the business environment, uh, following the, the normal local customs. That's a really good point, actually. Have you, have you heard of uh, high-context and low-context communication? Very little, but yeah, if you, if you remind me and give me a bit more about it, that will help. Yeah, so, so a classic example for low-context communication is actually American culture. Um, it's, it's very direct. You tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, right? You make sure you get your point across. Very, very little room for misunderstanding, right? It's based on the, the understanding that, well, we, we don't all share the same background. Mm -hmm. right? It's a culture of immigrants. We all have different mm -hmm. backgrounds. Um, and we have to make sure we get our point across. So we want to be crystal clear. Now, um, the other extreme is high context communication. And Japanese is really on the other end of the, the, the spectrum, where you share a huge pool of, um, of culture and, and shared understanding. Um, it's a very homogenous society in Japan, right? We all have a similar background, at least that's understanding, and we don't have to say things explicitly. Mm -hmm. It's based on the assumption that the other person will understand. Mm -hmm. So in Japanese, you can leave out the subject, right? You mm -hmm. don't actually have to mention it every single sentence. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't have to state things as explicitly as, as you have to in, uh, in English, for example. Now, what you see a lot is that Japanese who speak English sometimes still apply um, high-context communication model mm -hmm. where they don't actually say things ex explicitly. Mm -hmm. What they say, it's grammatically correct, they say something, but you really have to pay attention to read between the lines. Um, another example is when, when I speak Japanese, it's grammatically correct for the most part, but I've, I often get told it's too direct okay. because I apply a low-context model basically because mm -hmm. I want to make sure I get my point across. Mm -hmm. But from a Japanese perspective, it's too direct. Mm -hmm. It's too much to the point. Mm -hmm. So there's no beating around the bush. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that we, we see with our clients as well mm -hmm. when, it, when it comes to communicating with your, your local team uh, and also with your customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is the part where once you start working, you get exposure to this and then having a discussion with yourself and putting this into a context would, would, have, would have helped me and will, will, would help um, to anyone new to, the, to Japan uh, because I've certainly experienced it and I've experienced it in the way that um, whoever is translating the message of a customer or of any of the employees that doesn't speak English struggles to translate, although their English is perfect and they are native Japanese speakers, but they struggle to translate because they are trying to simplify this high context into a low context for me to, to understand. Um, and they often say it's much easier to translate English into Japanese than Japanese into English, which what you just said makes uh, yeah, perfect, perfect sense. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's why um, a lot of things, um, you really you need to experience it to a degree for, in order to, to build on that, right? And then get the, the, the coaching around it, the mentoring around it. And that's why we do it over a course of about three months, where it's really every week. 
uh, chunk by chunk, and we talk about those things like high context, low context, feedback, uh, decision making, um, and then we we speak about them, and then we ask, okay, well, looking back at last week, was there anything along those lines? Or now looking at next week until we meet again, can you pay attention to um, those high context versus low context communication styles and how the people communicate with you, right? So it's it's of course you can read it up online, you can buy books, you can take half day seminar, but we think it's a lot more powerful to have it stretched out of a couple of months mm -hmm. where you really you take it step by step to really digest it and then apply your learnings and really see okay well how do I see it um, in business how does it play out yeah no that would be a, that would have been an immense immense help uh, having this part of going through it then reflecting and, and, and building on that and adjusting and at the end of the day you know you sometimes you leave me meetings and encounters very puzzled so someone who has been through this um, clarifying, yeah, it's an immense, immense help. And at the end of the day, it speeds up uh, your ability to deliver for the business because you arrive here and you are expected to deliver. So people transitioning maybe from the UK to France, you know, can be sometimes uh, stressful and they will take time to adapt. But let alone coming to Japan, that, uh, that's just a, such a big step and there's no way you can deliver as quickly as you would in, in some other um, changes of culture. So, yeah, um, big, big help I see um, having someone for the, for the first two, three months helping you through this adjustment period. So, Thomas, it's, it's been seven years in Japan now, um, and I'm sure you've learned a lot. We've covered already a lot during the conversation. Um, what do you think will be the, the, the learnings that you can apply and how will it impact your, your next step? Mm. Well, I'm certainly looking to bring with me um, a lot of great business practices I've learned here, especially what I mentioned earlier around planning, mm -hmm. focus on consumer and customer that in Japan is really um, very, very high as well as the highest standard of the product. Mm -hmm. But from a cultural perspective, um, having been through this experience in a, in a both good positive and negative way, mm -hmm. I think that will give me a much easier and smoother start in any other culture mm -hmm. because I feel that I'm much more attuned now to cultural differences, spoken and unspoken stuff we mentioned earlier, and hopefully that will, that will give me a smoother start wherever I go next. Excellent. Well, look forward to hearing about your next success. Thank you. That was our interview with Thomas from Imperial Brands Japan. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and you learned something from it. Um, if you experienced something similar in Japan already or you're an expat on your way to Japan, feel free to reach out either on LinkedIn or through our website. Thank you and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time.